Welcome back to our podcast, which we call Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And it's closer than you think. Just visit safehouserehab.com to learn more. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. It's getting crazier and more deadly than we could have ever imagined just 10 years ago with opioids and now fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than heroin. A while ago, I noticed that there was no podcast dedicated solely to talking to that one super important group without whom many addicts would never make it. And I realized then that I had the ammo to blow up some of these myths so that nothing but the truth survived. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, then this podcast is for you. If your loved one is driving you crazy and stealing your money, your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. And if you're feeling rage and shame and your self-esteem has been flushed down the tubes, this podcast is for you too. Welcome back to Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. In this episode number three, I will discuss how the addicts, alcoholics, loved ones, family and close friends, must change how they think about their loved one's addiction if they ever want to successfully arrest the disease or at the very least gain some peace of mind with a fresh perspective on it. Even if you never get to the point of a real intervention, and there are other ways that the disease gets arrested, for example, the addict gets sick and tired of being sick and tired and throws in the towel and accepts help. Or the addict actually ends up taking up the loving offer of a parent or a spouse to go into treatment or to attend a recovery meeting. Nonetheless, this episode will give you the insights you need to navigate your way through your current situation in a less scary, more rational, and emotional st- emotionally steady way. And do something for yourself that may give you the peace you deserve. The vast majority of interventions fail because the family hasn't been educated on how the addict really thinks. So the many defenses, excuses, lies, and denials may sound plausible to the family when indeed the addict is just pulling off a con job, although it's unconscious, to keep himself in business. The symptoms of addiction are often disguised in this case as life problems or circumstances that happen only due to bad luck or they are someone else's fault. You hear the if-only story over and over. There are so many detours down the wrong paths, it's really heartbreaking. A family will try to convince their 27-year-old son to stop using heroin because they see it as deadly dangerous, but get this. He moves out of town so they can use all the the drugs he wants without his family hassling him or checking in on him or whatever. He just does not understand what they're so worried about, believe it or not. He thinks the family's the problem because they're in the way of his using, his getting and staying high. He doesn't see his addiction as the problem. He sees you as the problem. That's another way that he thinks. That's way different than you expect. The fact is that addicts and alcoholics who are in the sure grip of this disease have lost contact with their conscience and with their emotions. They simply do not know what is going on inside of them, believe it or not. So it should really be obvious to you by now that an addicted mind cannot come up with a solution to addiction. The solution must come from a source other than the addict. It must come from the family and or from a professional who knows the game. 
Now, we know that some families are led to believe that the problems that are actually caused by addiction, which takes on many disguises, should be treated first before addiction is addressed. They think that there's a clinical reason why their daughter is out all night doing coke and then sleeps all day. Oh, she's depressed or traumatized or has an anxiety disorder or something. And so they take her to a psychiatrist and he starts treating her for depression and anxiety disorder and des describes X or an equivalent anti-anxiety medication, which is highly addictive if you're an addict to begin with, since it interacts with brain chemistry much in the same way as do opiates. Good luck with that. Well, herein lies the rub on several counts. One, the psychiatrist may not be a trained addictions clinician, so he or she doesn't ask the right questions to begin with and could easily be fooled by the slick addict patient into believing that there is something else causing the addict to do what she does. Fact is, the addict will never, ever disclose what is really going on, the full extent of her usage of drugs, if she's not ready to accept help, because she's scared to death that she will be found out. She will deny, deny, deny to keep access to her drugs of choice. Remember, the addict is there because she's purportedly depressed, anxious, or dysfunctional due to a mental disorder, and the family is looking for the cause of the addiction. Treat the cause, they think, and the addiction will be arrested. It's actually the other way around, and I'll explain that in a moment. Three, because of this thinking, her addiction will not be directly treated as addictive disease and or alcoholism, which is the only way that addiction can be treated successfully. Addiction as the primary disorder is hard for some people to swallow, but it's the only proven way to treat addiction. Now, we also know there are other disorders that run parallel with addictive disorder, and these patients are often termed as having a dual diagnosis, where, say, bipolar disorder interacts with drug addiction, but neither is the cause of the other, and that's scientifically proven. Let me give you an example from my own experience. So at this point, about 26 years ago, after I was given the gift of desperation, although I surely didn't see it that way at the time, I'm sitting in group therapy. I have all these crazy symptoms. I'm on a roller coaster ride. Uh, I've been clean and sober for maybe, I don't know, three months at the most at this point. Especially, you know, depression, anxiety, OCD, panic disorder. You know, even though I haven't been drinking or doing drugs for several weeks, I asked my counselor, I beseeched my counselor. I said this, Margaret, what's wrong with me? And she said something that has stuck with me all these years. Bruno Jr., why don't you sober up first and we'll figure out what's wrong with you. Wow. Well, we figured out what was wrong with me. I was a full-blown addict alcoholic and I needed to A, stop taking any mind-altering substance as a start and B, keep doing the work that would ultimately liberate me from all those crazy symptoms, from the deep depression, the panic attacks, the OCD, the sex obsession, the profound codependence, spending money I didn't have just to impress you, all of this fueled by fear, desire, and a profound denial of reality. My treatment team, which included my psychiatrist, addictionologist, yes, they do exist, they're trained specifically on addictions, and my counselor concluded that, concluded that after about six months, after the symptoms of crazy subsided, that virtually all the compulsions obsessions, paranoia, and behavior were the result 
of my advanced alcoholism drug addiction and not the cause. Treating the addiction as the primary disorder was the answer. When I hit my bottom, I didn't really know what was going on inside of me, but I knew enough. I knew that by addressing my disorder first, I was convinced of this, many if not all of these so-called problems would be resolved, and I would eventually grow to become an honest, authentic, and kind person. The kind of guy I really wanted to be all along, but didn't know how. That took 18 months of counseling and a commitment to do the work, which hasn't let up for over 26 years. 18 months of counseling started with you know, four group sessions a week plus three or four meetings, recovery meetings a week. I was really busy. I was too busy to actually do drugs or drink. Plus, I had a job. And then it tapered off in the last six months to you know, one uh, group meeting every other week. And a commitment... On the other hand, an aftercare program, as it's called, to do the work, which hasn't let up for 26 years. And now the work is joy and the effort is effortless you know, because I'm liberated from all this craziness. But let's get back to what you may be facing as your loved one races around avoiding the truth. The lesson here is if you suspect your loved one is using uh, depression, say, or a broken heart or anxiety or stress of life, or your behavior as the reason that they're doing drugs and getting drunk, and you know better, and hopefully by now, maybe you're beginning to know better, or you have recently come to understand that it may be a con job to avoid the real reason for these, quote, problems, get your lovely daughter or handsome son to an addiction specialist and see what the professional has to say. The professional may prescribe something non-addictive, but whatever he prescribes would be done in the context of an addiction. We're making a huge assumption that A, your loved one is okay with going to an addiction specialist. Remember that the professional is very well versed in teasing out the truth. He's not easily conned. Or, as I was thinking, you could, on the other hand, just say you're taking your loved one to a psychiatrist without really revealing what kind of psychiatrist. And the second part of this is your loved one addict will be reasonably honest with the professional. Reasonably honest. As much as he or she can, can, can say. Remind your loved one that everything said during the visit is 100% confidential. You're not going to be in that room with that kid. You know, you want to be able to make sure that the, that the addiction specialist gets some truth from this person. Because the last thing you need is to have a doctor who isn't trained in addictions inadvertently fooled by her patient who may not know what is really going on anyway, into prescribing an addictive drug which could only ever make things way more compl complicated and worse in the slide. I see this happen quite a bit. Addicts come into treatment addicted to their original drugs of choice and then become addicted to whatever their naive doc prescribed for them. And now the addict is milking that source for all it's worth and probably even uh, forging prescriptions, which is, which is very illegal. You have to remember that addicts and alcoholics have physically damaged brains. The longer they stay active in their addiction, the more degraded their brains become. What's even scarier is that the longer an addict abuses drugs, or the longer the alcoholic drinks those vast quantities of alcohol, as I did, the greater the odds that some of the brain damage becomes irreversible. All of this is backed up by research done by the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the NIAA, and by several universities, including University of California in San Diego and Brown University, one of those great Ivy League schools. 
For these long-term addicts and alcoholics I just spoke of, recovery of 100% of their mental capacity is really no longer possible. Hey, I'll settle for 92, okay? <laughs> and the long-term effects of addiction on young brains are even more profound than the effects on older brains. And this is really scary. The decision-making ability of an active addict's brain is so degraded, there's little sense of the consequences that come with bad, insane decisions. Compound that with tendencies of a teenage brain, which is heedless to consequences because it's already impulsive and immature to begin with, and you're set up for a lifelong struggle with reality. It doesn't have to be that way. Not on your life, or more importantly, not on the life of the addict or alcoholic whom you love. And that's where we come in. We're here to help you make an informed decision on what you should be doing and not be doing for a loved one who struggles with addictive disorder and how you need to change your thinking about addiction so that you no longer have to carry the burden of shame or resentment or fear or all of the above and you begin to approach your loved one as a sick person who needs treatment, not punishment. And yet you become wise enough to stop enabling your loved one so that they begin to experience consequences. You begin to employ the po deploy the power of your love in new and healthier ways. If you'd like to learn more, um, I can certainly recommend uh, several books that will help you understand, uh, particularly on the issue of how to help someone maybe who doesn't really even want help. The first book I've quoted from is called Love First by Jeff and Deborah J. Another terrific book is Get Your Loved One Sober by Robert J. Myers. Another one is Addict in the House by Robin Barnett. And then finally, Intervention by Vernon Johnson. And his topic is how to help someone who doesn't want help. You can also email us at info at safehouserehab.com. And you can ask us any question on any topic related to your loved one's story. And we will do everything possible to help. You can visit us at safehouserehab.com for the full story. And a phone number you can call depending on what part of the world you're calling from. At Safe House Rehab Thailand, we offer clients a full, life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Intensive inpatient treatment for the modern challenges of addiction, which essentially consists of being addicted to a variety of substances all at once and to other substances that families may not even know about yet. Clients here are away from those triggers, away from using friends and drinking buddies, away from a lifestyle that's stealing your and your loved one's health, money, and sanity. We are a warm and welcoming sanctuary that is a safe place to start life anew. Compare us, compare Safe House Rehab Thailand to upscale treatment centers in the U.S. and elsewhere, which go from $25,000 U.S. a month to $50,000 a month, and you'll be amazed. But let's get back to the way an addict who is actively using actually thinks. The addict is heedless to crazy risk, self-centered in the extreme. And by the way, we could, that could be a topic for a whole episode in and of itself. Let me give you an example from my own life. I drove my turbocharged coupe in the middle of the night through upstate New York at 100 miles an hour plus. My 11-year-old daughter was asleep in the back. And here it is, it's the middle of winter where there's black ice on the highway and I'm stoned and maybe drunk too. I know I was stoned, that's for sure. Imagine what could have happened. 
I was heedless to the consequences, a menace to society. And how could I claim to love my daughter while I was endangering her life as I did? All that risk for short, short-term indulgence. You know, I was brain damaged. As a matter of fact, active addicts that make, make bad decisions even when they aren't high, their brains are still degraded. Do not expect your addict to think like a normal person. That's like going to the hardware store and expecting to find bread. There ain't none there. So back when I was living with my lovely and sexy addict girlfriend, she would occasionally say something that would make a whole lot of sense. And I was sober by now. I would think, oh, she's coming around. And then I realized after she went back to her addled ways that what really appeared to be a return to sanity was pure coincidence. And it really meant nothing but false hope. And I really, really loved this woman, but her addict brain had been changed and wouldn't even begin to recover unless and until she put the drugs and the beer down and started the long, slow process of recovering the ability to think and act sanely. And to finally understand what love really is, not just a feeling, but selfless, honest action without the expectation of reward. That story isn't over, and I do wish her the best, but I decided a long time ago I was through dancing with the devil, and I hope you will be too. So what did we learn in this episode? Number one, addiction must be treated as the primary disorder, as the cause of mental and behavioral problems and not as the result of that. Two, addicts, alcoholics, when they aren't ready to quit, are very slick and will do anything to protect their ability to use or drink, including lying to professionals. Number three, if you decide to seek professional help, find a professional who is trained in addictive disorder, someone who is an AODA, or alcohol or drug, drug addiction counselor, psychiatrist, or counselor, or, other, or other, another type of clinician. Four, you'll no longer be puzzled by the irrational, unpredictable, and irresponsible behavior of your addict when you realize that he or she is operating with a damaged brain. And that damaged brain is simply incapable of making good decisions. Case closed. Short-term, high-risk thinking. Number five, the family and loved one of an addict needs to change the way they think about addiction before they get ready to intervene in a way that has any chance of success. And number six, and finally, there is much more to learn along the way, so stay tuned. The Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It podcast is brought to you by the caring professionals at Safe House Rehab Thailand, who offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Just ask us any question, we mean any question, at info at safehouserehab.com, and we may use it on the air with your permission, of course, or visit us at safehouserehab.com. We want to help you make an informed decision for yourself and your loved one at this very important time in your family's life. So tune in next week for the next episode of Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. And we'll see you next time.